Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 58. And tonight's guest is Captain Michael Hopkins. Uh, Mike and I went through the academy together. Um, he spent four years in the U.S. Army before that. And he has spent the last four years as a captain in the fire service. Um, he holds multiple certifications and a BS in fire science. And he's here tonight to talk about leadership. And we touch on a little bit of mental health stuff and just generally have a really great conversation. I hope everyone enjoys it. So here's number episode number 58 of the Washdown podcast with special guest Captain Michael Hopkins. I'll get in every time. I forget a lot of times. Whenever he's sitting over there, you can't see him. What are you trying to say? He blends in with the background? Uh, or? You know, whatever. <laughs> I take wear, it take I, it how you want. <laughs> I, wear, I wear bright colored clothing to make up for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you get mm-hmm. for sticking me behind the camera so much. Then when you bring me out, you're like, oh, shit, we got to make adjustments. Hey, L- man. Lighting and makeup, get over here. You know, adapt and overcome. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah, our, our makeup people are... Let's, let's just say that... <laughs> They're not top of the line. <laughs> budget, We're working with what we got. Budget cuts. <laughs> Due to recent it's, budget cuts. It's, it's the great resignation. They decided they didn't want that intern job anymore. <laughs> Can't get anybody to come to work. Told you to stop getting high schoolers. Well, they got, they're not reliable. You know. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're talking about reliable? <laughs> what the fuck? What? Watch your I'm language. Just saying, watch you your know, language. We're supposed to start like six o'clock, and you come rolling in at six fifteen. Ah, six oh five ish. It was a little later than that, and that was because I ate shit in my driveway and I had to go change my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get the snow out of my ass crack. <laughs> Jeez. Well, hey, Mike. Thanks for coming hey. on the show. <laughs> Today's topic: snow in the ass crack. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it out, but since you fucking brought it up, now we well, can talk about it. Hey, man, it's that, you know, the major winter storm that we had yesterday. Oh, yeah. Snowmageddon. Yeah, Snowmageddon that was less snow than what we had, like, what was it, a month ago when it snowed? Yeah. I was really hoping for that, like, 18 inches or whatever shit they were saying. Yeah. Sedalia got it. <laughs> yeah, it it missed yeah. us quite a bit. Yeah. So the old Tonganoxy split hitting us again with snow. Yep. <laughs> Dude, hey, I'm not complaining. It took me maybe 30 minutes today to get my driveway cleaned off. You know what's funny? You know what I did the day before we got all the snow? What's that? Went on like a four-hour ride on the bike. <laughs> I saw a bunch of dudes out. Yeah. Because it was like, what, 60 degrees yeah. almost? Dude, I was in Dallas on Saturday playing in a softball tournament, and it was 70 degrees down there. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Now, when the sun went down... It got cold as shit. <laughs> so we, I rode all the way to Warsaw and, you know, had a good time and stopped at Jaeger's Harley Davidson on the way home, which I was like, I'm just going to run in there real quick because I'm starting to lose the sun when we get home. Well, I bullshitted around for too long. You got on the bike and it dropped 10 degrees in half an hour. It was not fun uh, on the way home. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just have the standing rule, man. Once it snows that first time. My bike's not going anywhere until we get a good rain in the spring. 
wash all that salt and all that crap off the road. You pansy. I'm sorry. I don't want a rusty motorcycle. Sue me. Or a busted head. Yeah. I can only get smarter. (laughs) (laughs) I saw some jerk off after the last time it snowed coming right up here on the street turning into the neighborhood. There was still ice on the road, and he's just motoring along on a sport bike. And I'm like... Dedication. Right. Well, I'm like job security. <laughs> I'll never forget. I think was it you? I was on your old rig up north when we had those. There was like a rut that night, and we ran all those Carver's deers along the 152. You remember that? Were you up there? That you might have been gone. No, you were still there. I might have been off. You might have been off. We ran this wreck. Carver's deer. Okay, whatever. Leave. PD stays there on scene. Some poor guy on a motorcycle is just sparked in traffic, just waiting, you know, because everybody's merging. Yeah. Some car just rear ends the piss out of him on oh. his bike. <laughs> he was, like, he was so. Oh, was it the dude that had the brand new, like, just drive off, drove from the dealership on yeah. a brand new CVO? Yes. Yeah, like a forty-something thousand-dollar bike. <laughs> I mean, literally driving it home from the dealership. He was as nice as can be, too. Like, his his pelvis was crushed. Yes, was, I was there that night. He was just like, oh, just, okay, just cut it off. Yeah. I'm like, bro, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Welcome, so. sir. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. So, let's get started. Let's, uh, let's kind of go from the, I guess beginning give some people some background so we met in the academy we went to yep. the academy together no shit yeah we did you didn't know that no i did not know that yeah yeah me him nelson yeah i'll be damned elliot paul paul yeah yeah, huh. I mean, yeah there were a bunch barney. of us yeah barney, barney shield yeah I'll be damned. There's not a lot of us left. No. We've lost a lot of our class. Well, no, yeah. and I just, like, I think of you guys here and then Jeremy and Chris down here, it's just hard to think you guys are in the same class. <laughs> wow. Burn. We we actually did, like, landscaping and shit together. Yeah. Played a little music together. Did he complain and bitch the whole time during those things, too? Never once. I think it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Varsity move, Mike. Varsity move. I'm going back behind the camera. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think you were just gonna like? Yes, I thought I did because I didn't know you two were in it together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what led you to the fire service? Uh, well, actually, I started my service type career in the army. Um, right out of high school, I was married and had a child. Joined the army, loved it, loved everything about it. Probably would have stayed and retired. Marriage thing didn't work out so well. So I had to come back home, deal with that. Had custody of my kids and was just looking for something that would give me the same sort of uh, satisfaction that the military gave me mm-hmm. and and turned to the fire department. I would thought about the fire department as a kid. Circumstances just led me to the military. So when it was time to look for a career outside the of the military, fire department is where it was at. So. That's kind of where my background started, and so pretty much all my adult life I've served in some form or fashion, either to in, in the military or in, then with the fire department. A little break in between, but yeah. So, 
That's what brought me brought me to the fire department was just looking for that camaraderie that you get in the military, that brotherhood, sisterhood, everybody's got your back kind of situation. I I really enjoyed that in the military, and I thought this job would give it, and it does. So it's it's worked out well. Yeah, that seems to be kind of a a common thing. There are a lot of people that come into this career field and they're looking for that type of thing, whether yeah. they're you know former athletes or whatever they want that team um community type thing yeah you know what i'm trying to say yeah can't say brotherhood because it's 2022 right you got you just got to add sisterhood in there too no 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 no. i was watching neutral camaraderie i was watching a episode of uh the unsubscribe podcast with uh, a couple of the guys donut operator and eli and they had tim kennedy on and you need to watch that episode because that topic came up. Because I guess a lot of people don't know that Eli is Asian. So every time Donut Operator needs a Asian voice for his videos, he calls Eli, who will do what it, say whatever he needs said. He'll hold his telephone up to his microphone and have him say it. And then I guess in the... Like he he'll run a ticker across the screen. Eli is really Asian. It's okay for him to talk this way. <laughs> so, but whenever Eli started doing that during the podcast, Tim Kennedy almost did was like doing the same thing and caught himself, and then that just they went way down a rabbit hole on that <laughs> shit. So, what would you say? <clears throat> We've had quite a few military to law enforcement, military to firefighter. Um, individuals on here, something I've always kind of wondered and I've never asked, what would you say the biggest thing to overcome from the military into public service was? There are lots of similarities, but what would be one of the biggest differences that you definitely had to make an adjustment for? Uh, I would say, especially when it comes to leadership style, I mean, a lot of times in the military, you know, it is just you. It is you and your guys and and your NCOs and officers and you're off deployed or training, you have to adapt to here. You have that same paramilitary structure, but the the home life um, is is one of the biggest issues. You know, going. It's not just all military. You know, we have our home lives to to balance at the same time with our service in the fire department or being a cop and. You go deal with it it for 24 hours, and then you're immediately back home dealing with your wife for a significant dealing with it for a year, and then right, you know. So that that was different. A little, you know, you get so in the military ingrained. I mean, it's just all military, really. I mean, and that's why a lot of military marriages don't last because you're gone so much. You if you're not deployed, you're training to deploy. When you get home from deployment, yeah, you get a little time off, but then it's right back to training for the next deployment or the next thing you're going to do. So adjusting to having a better work-life balance coming coming to this job, and quite honestly, I had an issue with it when I first came on. probably cost me the marriage that I was in. Uh, just not having that balance. You know, you go so full force into to the fire department or – like when I was in the military, you know, I was just used to it that way. This is my job. This is what I got to do and not getting that balance. It becomes more of who you are than it's your job. Yes. 
It's an identity thing. Yeah, you so. identify with it, every, you know, and everything's about it. And then just trying to find that work, work-life balance and include include your significant others in it so that they understand what's going on. You you are a captain now, um, and you have a fairly young crew for the most part. How do you how do you instill that, or what do you do? <clears throat> how do you talk to them about that? What are, what are some of the big points you want to hit for younger crews? You know, younger guys when they're starting families or new to this job. How do you reemphasize that to them? Uh, just try to encourage them. I like when you know, keep their spouses involved. You know, talk to them about what's going on. Uh, whether it's good or bad, you have a bad day, you run a bad call. Uh, I made a few mistakes early on, you know, keeping that kind of stuff to myself and then it festers. So to get that balance with your wife, to get buy-in from your spouse, uh, is to, you know, take them to the retirement parties, bring them to the functions. If the guys are getting together, get the wives together, um, you know, truly treat it like a, like a family and get, get your better half involved with it. And then it's easier for them to understand. It's easier for them to help you cope with stuff when, when, when it's, you know, something happens, you get in the mood or whatever. They they can understand it better, in my opinion. So I try and reinforce that with the guys when we go do stuff. You know, we try and plan stuff together, watching a football game, going out to dinner, whatever. whatever. And it's not always just us. It's not like, hey, just the guys. Typically, if, especially now as a captain, if I invite my crew to come do something, they automatically know it's their wives are more than welcome to come. So we try and keep everybody involved that way. So and it kind of sounds like, too, and, and talking with you, and then obviously I know some of your guys, you've really kind of emphasized that family atmosphere, especially with not only just leading them on fires, leading them on calls, leading them around the station, but being that leader outside and setting up the events for them to come to and continue to form that family and that camaraderie. Yeah, and we don't do a ton of it, uh, you know, because, you know, wives have our wives have plans for us. <laughs> we don't get to make all the plans. But, yeah, if, if we're going to do – if I'm going to set something up to do it, it's always a, a plus one, you know, or even family functions. Some of it's not feasible because a lot of the guys' kids are very young. Uh, so the bar ain't the best. Uh, yeah, I, I have the luxury that uh, all of my kids are grown, but – you know, most of my guys now are still dealing with, you know, with babies and stuff. So that's a little different. Uh, but yeah, we try and try and do things together and, and reinforce that, you know, that it's, it's an all for one thing and keep the wives involved. So my wife's very involved. She reaches out to the other wives, you know, when we have these and when we do get together and it's always like, Hey, if you need something, you know, I've been doing this a long time cause we've been married now or we've been together now 14 years, married six. So for a lot of my fire department career, she's she's been here. So, you know, she understands the ups and downs and, and what the job requires. So she's all, always available to the spouses as well, and she makes that known. And it's like, hey, call me if you got questions bothering you. If you need my husband to make him do push-ups, just give me a holler. See, that's smart, though. <laughs> you bring the wife in, let her organize it. That way all the wives are for it. Because they're like, oh, well, Michael's wife set this up. Yeah smart <laughs> but it is you just got to find the balance you know the the tactic stuff's easy you know most of the guys want to learn tactics and and all of that kind of stuff it's getting them really young and getting them adapted to the career the lifestyle 
because this is a lifestyle. This isn't a nine to five. This isn't check out at five. I don't have to, you know, on Friday, I don't have to worry about it again. It's, it's a 24 seven lifestyle type of career. And that being said, you still got to find that balance. So. I, <clears throat> we are friends, unfortunately for you. I'm sorry. Um, you and I have had the conversation before that, you know, I am, and I've had it with your driver too, that I am a fan of your leadership style. Um, we have talked about leadership on this podcast with some pretty, who I can consider mentors, friends, people's opinions that I very much value. One of the things I like about your styles, I believe that you embrace servant leadership. That is something I've, I've always felt is very important for the growth and development of the fire service in general. We can't have the quote-unquote red asses anymore or that old style. I believe servant leadership is very important throughout all ranks of the fire department. Um, what are some of the hurdles you've found or difficulties or ways of adjusting your style of leadership in a career, not just this department, but in a career that is still slow to adjust to that? Um, quite honestly, you get more pushback from guys with, uh, my time or more, um, the, the younger kids, uh, gravitate to it. Uh, but it's a, my, I, when I was in the army, I ended up a sergeant, squad leader, all that kind of stuff, team leaders. Um, but I had NCOs that were the red asses that were the, you know, finger in your face right up on you. And then I had ones that were not, and the ones that were not, it wasn't because they were pushovers. It was because they just had a different style, more of that servant leadership style. And what I found was most of the guys would run through a brick wall for them. They didn't have to yell. They didn't have to scream. They didn't have to be in your face to get you to do something. You wanted to do it because they, they took care of you, so you wanted to take care of them. And that's not to say that somebody who's a red ass doesn't care about his people and isn't taking care of me just has a different, different style at it. And there is a time and place for it, in my opinion. Um, it's just not a style that I, I use on a day-to-day basis. You know, my guys understand that there, there are times when I'm going to say, do this, and there's no questions asked. You just do it. We can talk about it later. But um, So I think the biggest hurdle that you get more so is from the older guys who grew up in that style. I mean, I grew up in a in a – you know, more of a red ass society. You do what I say, not what I'm doing. You know, parents were that way. Teachers were that way. Coaches were that way. I went in the military, a good portion of, of your leaders in the military, at least at the time when I was in were that way. When I first came on the fire department, everyone was that way. So it did not bother me to have a red ass captain. It didn't hurt my feelings. I didn't take it. You know, it's just the way it was. Um, I think we have a generational gap now where kids were raised a different way um, by their parents, by society, by their coaches. And they do not respond to that well. They don't know how to adapt to that well. So I think it's going to be incumbent on the gap leaders is what I've kind of termed it, which is myself, Jeremy, guys coming up that are making captain now. Um, we're bridging that gap from the Mick Burns, the Tom Burns, the Ray Wins of the world who were great, well-respected people on our job uh, to the new young generation that's coming on. We have to bridge, find a way to bridge that gap and, and communicate the traditions 
and the drive and the want to on the job. And I think it's going to take a different style of leadership. Well, it's just to illustrate that point and, you know, the adaptive style of being able to adapt to your people and set them up for success. Think about it in terms of football, right? So let's say you're a football coach and you go in and you've got Tom Brady as your quarterback. Are you going to be calling quarterback draws every other play with him? No. no not at all. Quick slants all day long. Now, you know, you got Lamar Jackson. Yeah, you're going to let that dude run. You can't. You have to fit your offense and your style to the personnel that you have. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. And and that's not to say that every every young person who comes on the job doesn't understand. You know, a former leadership we may have had when we were younger. Mm-hmm. You can't group everybody together like that. But I, I think as a whole, the younger generation. And when I say younger generation, I mean either young millennials because. True millennials, a lot of them are close to 40 years old now. Uh, but the younger millennials and then Gen Zers grew up in a different time frame, a different parenting style, teaching, coaching style, um, social media. Uh, they don't have a lot of the same uh, interpersonal skills because everything they've done is on a phone. They send texts. They can swipe right for dates. You know, They don't even really have to communicate that well with one another as kids growing up. Yeah. Then you drop them into the fire service. Where communication is key. Where communication is key, but we communicate sometimes in very harsh fashions, even when we're just playing around, and it's a shock to the system. Um, You know, when I came on, they would tell you, hey, first thing you do, go to the station, you go introduce yourself to everyone. You look them in the eye, shake your hand, I'm so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Uh, If you want to learn something, you go ask them for help. They're not going to come to you, you go to them. Okay, I had no issue with that. That's how I grew up. But now we're dealing with a generation coming on the job who doesn't have those social skills. All their social skills have been done through text messaging, social media. The walking up, looking someone in the eye and asking for help isn't in their vocabulary. It's not their fault. It's the way they were raised. So as that bridge the gap kind of leader, I have to adjust to that. And not only do I need to teach them fire department stuff, I've got to teach them those skills too. And that's, that's an adaptability that I think new captains and moving forward and even, you know, the informal leaders, the drivers, the senior firefighters have to realize because you're hear a lot of guys say, oh, these young kids just don't care. They don't know. They don't, they don't have the same passion. I think they do. They just don't know how to express it. And they don't, they, instead of waiting for them to come to us, we're going to have to adapt and go to them. Well, and the bottom line is probably the old guys when we came on said the same thing about us. Oh, yeah. Every generation says the generation yeah. behind them is not garbage. As good. Yeah. Not as good. <laughs> um, we just took it better, I think, because yeah. we grew up with it at home as well. You know, your dad say, do something. You went and, and did it. Yeah. Or if you did say why, he said, because I said so. You know, yeah. you'd be like, okay, good enough. We The younger generation is a wide generation because they have information at their fingertips. I yeah. think I think technology is the big thing that does separate i guess you could say my generation from the previous ones i mean if you look at 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s technology by the way we communicate for the most part stayed the same um and then you get to the 2000s and everything became so much more instantaneous and so yes it does take away those interpersonal communication skills like you say so not only like yes there's some of that older generation just softer blah 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 we we truly have 
I guess you could. I don't want to say communication crisis, but a well, there's a gap, huge there. communication yeah. gap there, that we there just is a did gap. not have before. And it's yeah. you know you make that point, but it is incumbent on us since we're in positions of leadership to make them understand that it's not always the time to ask a question. Right. You know, like you said, you know, there will be times whenever I say do this and I'll explain it to you afterwards, but you have to make, you almost have to explain it to them beforehand that there are going to be situations like that. Yeah, you do. So, because if not, then that situation is going to arise and you're going to say, do this and they're going to go, why? And then something's going to fall on their head. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So it, and that's, that's the key to it is it's it's a never-ending process it's yeah. not hey we trained on monday we'll train again next monday and when i say train doesn't necessarily mean hey let's drag it all out and get physical with it a lot of times it's just sitting around and talking about situations and it may be fire stuff it may be medical stuff it may be talking about somebody's home life you know I, i'll sit and listen to somebody talking about having an argument with their wife and let them get it all out and then be like, okay, but did you ask her why she was mad? You know, and we're talking about kids that are in their early Mm twenties and, and that's easy to forget too, because they're married, they have children. So you're just like, well, they're just adults. Well, they're 20. Yeah. Their brains aren't fully formed yet. And I can promise you how I am now. My thought processes, the way I look at things is 100% different now than it was 18 years ago when Mm -hmm. I started on this job. Some of that has to do with the job. A lot of it's just maturity. Yeah. And changing and, you know, your ideology on everything changes over time. So and I, it, that's easy for some of us who are in in the middle and or older guys. We forget that, that they are 22 years old. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's just sitting around, you hear them talking and then, you know, they're all fired up about something. You're like, well, did you ask her why she said that or why she felt that way? Did you ask her why she felt that way? No. Well, why don't you try that? Yeah. And then they'll come back the next day, be like, "Well, I asked her, and she told me, and yeah, it was my fault." <laughs> I'll be like, "You know, it, it, a lot of it's communication. Yeah, communication is a big thing." And I was just talking about my guys with it last day. It's like we got to communicate better. Yeah, I have learned as much, if not more, sitting around the kitchen table at a fire station talking about and listening to older, more experienced guys talk about calls and things they've seen and things they've done than any formal training that I've ever done. Yeah, I'm I'm big on, on table talks and just BS after dinner discussions. Um, matter of fact, a lot of the, one of the things I do uh, to keep the guys involved and, and let them kind of own the company a little bit, and, and which I think builds their pride in it, is they come up with the tactical training. I mean, I can go in and tell, I tell them what I want, you know, here's here's the point we're going to. Mm-hmm. Here's your left side parameter. Here's your right side parameter. Now, you guys figure out a way we're going to get there, and we'll go out and train on it. Here's how I would do it. If that works, well, great. I, I know it works because that's how I do it. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to let them, you know, go watch a video, go read a book, and come back and be like, hey, can we go? I saw a guy, you know, do a whole stretch this way. Can we go try it? I may immediately know it's not going to work for us, but we'll go try it because if yeah. nothing else, we'll learn that it doesn't work for us. Yeah. Well, and you're like you said, you're giving them ownership. Yeah. You're giving them the ability to solve problems and think for themselves. Yeah. And that's my goal. Yeah. we're un, You cannot be a robot in this profession. You no. can't. You have to be a problem solver and you have to be a problem solver at every level. 
just like we need you have to be a leader at every level you know we need those like you said informal leaders at senior firefighters drivers captains battalions. Yep. you know you go all the way up the chain but you know i had a captain come in you know he was going to be the new captain that station comes in sits everybody down and he goes look this is how i run things it's old school he goes points at me because i'm the senior firefighter he goes if you two have an issue you go to him if he can't solve it he goes to the driver if the driver can't solve it then he comes to me he goes we're all leaders yeah so you know that's that's my goal as soon as i became a captain you know obviously you float for a little while and you don't have your own crew but when i got back back home and got my own crew uh you know my goal is to turn everyone up i'm training them to take my job i mean i've got six and a half to seven years maybe a few more depending on you know how big a boat i want to buy uh <laughs> you got to get that next promotion so, mike <laughs> so my my goal is to to get every one of them to a position where they can take my job and the job beyond mine if that's what what they want uh, I have no fear passing on anything and everything I know and trying to teach them to to be leaders and not to just replicate what I do. Because, you know, I got guys on my crew that are black and white guys. You know, there's no gray area. Give me give me a job and it's, you know. Yeah. That's, that's good sometimes, but that can be bad. So I got to break them, not break them, but adjust them to my style of leadership, the adaptability of it. And then maybe down the road they can combine the two, and and it works well for them. That's the biggest thing with leadership. There is no cookie cutter. Hey, if you do this, you're going to be successful. Yeah. There's attributes and uh, skills that you can learn that's going to help you be successful. But there is no do this and you'll be a general in the army. Do this and you'll be the chief of the department. That doesn't exist. No. Well, and the with our job being black and white is just it's a hindrance more than anything else right you know because if you are only looking at a problem one of two ways it's not going to get solved you have to be able to think outside the box yeah and to be able to lead you got to think even wider outside the box and and do it quickly yeah yeah well and and when i say you know i've got a guy that i think's a a black and white kind of guy it's maybe that's not a good better term he he likes more structure he 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 would rather me say Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way every time. Right. And then his world would be, oh, thank you. Um, Have where you I'm, explained to him that we don't ever <laughs> run the same call twice? Right. And that's that's where we're going. He's very young. And then that's that's going to be my goal for this year is just. But you know what? That's, he may never be 100% into that, but he'll be comfortable with it by the time I'm done with yeah. it. You know what, though? That's a lot of the younger generation. And I'm like that myself. I very much like structure. A I like yeah, I like a schedule. I like to get up at the same time. I like to do like my day is yeah. keep my day very ordered. Um it doesn't bother me so much now if I get off schedule or whatever, but that's just kind of how my brain works. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it definitely can be a, a but, hindrance. But that's a skill to be able to adapt, you know, to have you, yeah. one just knowing that about yourself that hey, I I like a schedule. I like to know at 8 I'm doing this, at 9 I'm doing that, this afternoon I'm doing that and then the time is mine. Yeah. And then when something gets thrown in there and you get off whack, understanding you're that type of person and over the years learning to adapt to it, that is a skill. And 
you know you got to teach that sometimes to to the to the younger generation that hey it, it's okay if we get off whack you yeah. know something goes goes awry but yeah i can see it like in his face he'll come ask a tactical question well what would you do on this or would you always do this or whatever and and i'll I may give him multiple answers to the question <laughs> and I can just see in his face that he's Fuck like, that's, that's not what I wanted to know. And I'm like, well, but that's how it is. It's a fluid yeah. adaptable situation. So if I saw this, we would do this. If I saw that, we would do that. I may do it this way on this house and on the next house, I may do it this way because it, that's just how it rolled in my head that yeah. at that moment, both ways being sound tactics to do it. But I can't tell you this is, and I tell the guys all the time, I rarely use the words always or never. Yeah. I'll say we'll do this most times or most likely we'll do this, but I'd never say we will always do something this yeah. way or I always want it done like that. Because then the first time, then I then I have to tell them all the time when I want to do something different or and it does throw them off their game if I shift gears. If it's like, well, we always grab this and we always do that. And then he turn, you know, even yeah. if it's that half second pause and going, what? Yeah, I don't want that. Well, yeah, and, you know, I've worked for captains like that that are like, on a car wreck, you're going to grab this and this and this. And, you know, okay, well, I've got all this stuff and all of it is useless because the scenario that we are faced with doesn't include any of this shit, you know. So, yeah, I think you have to give your people a little bit of freedom to think for themselves and set them up for success, though, of them being able to recognize stuff and then... You know, at the same time, you're still in charge. And if you need to say, hey, go grab this or go grab, you know. Yeah, and they understand that. And then again, like I said, that just boils back to the communication when you're talking about it. You say, we'll throw out ideas. Ultimately, it's my decision on everything. Even if we're just kicking around ideas on, you know, whether we want to use smoothbore or or a combination nozzle, which is a whole other topic that could be gone down. Yeah. so, you know, which side of that do you land on, Mike? I fall on the smoothbore side, but I tell my guys all the time, hey, it's the third one. Pull it. That's what I want. But if you happen to grab the combination nozzle, I'm not going to lose my shit at the door. I've put out a lot of fire with the combination nozzle. I just mm-hmm. like a smoothbore. So if we can grab that, 90% of the time, we're going to be good. Yeah. If you grab the other one, I'm not going to lose lose my mind and be like, what were you thinking? Where's smoothbore? It all, water comes out of the end of both of them. So yeah. I, uh, I fall on the other side of that. I prefer the combination. I've I've worked for both. I worked you people. Yeah, yeah. I've worked for you people yeah. before. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you I'll tell you why though. So the my very first fire I ever had riding out whenever I was a firefighter riding out as captain. We had an apartment fire that was on fucking whoop ass and grabbed the apartment line off the back. The firefighter did. So I'm standing at the front door. He brings it up. It's a smooth bore. No problem. I'm I'm fine with that. I don't care either way at this point. He opens the line, and it doesn't seem like it's quite getting the pressure. Well, it was up three flights of stairs and was kinked in several places. Yeah. And we were fucked that whole time. And then we went into the fire because it did straighten out, and we got pressure. So we opened the door, go in the apartment, and immediately lost pressure again. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, then the truck guys come in, and I'm like, don't pull that ceiling. Don't pull that ceiling. We just lost the line. They pulled the ceiling. So me being the tallest guy in the room. Your head got hot. Yeah. Well, I'm now standing in fire up to here. So, um, yeah, 
it was uh, an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, and that's that happened. That's a, in my opinion, that's a, a stretch issue and a pump issue, not a nozzle issue. But the reason we're I like it and we're successful with it is because we train on it and we drill on it and we right. and we understand where we need to pump it on yeah. our rigs with our line. See, and in that situation, it was a you have a firefighter mm-hmm. riding out as captain, a firefighter on overtime who's not normally on that rig, a driver who just got designated as driver who has never been on a pumper his whole career. Right. You know, which he did a fine job. So there was a whole bunch. There, there of was things. a whole bunch yeah. of it was everything that could have been a you know a bad indicator was right there yeah but that's like anything on our job whether it's a tool or a nozzle or a tactic you can walk into a room and say hey i like to do this and half the room's gonna say yeah and the other half's gonna say you're an idiot (laughs) and then you can train and show them and they may be like okay well now i get what you're saying i buy it we've never done it that way so yeah what you're doing makes more sense so that's you know, I don't care whether it's combination nozzle, smooth bore nozzle. You just whether you, you know what's your search technique, what it, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. you're going to get half the room that likes it one way and yeah. half the room likes it the other. Everybody's a squirrel to somebody. That's right. <laughs> we, uh, Some of us more than others. <laughs> it's, it's funny to talk about like half the room because there was a. It just showed up on my timeline the other day. It was a video Chris Russell posted of a first in fire on B shift. I think they're on like Montgall or something. Thirty fives didn't. Great knockdown. I mean, fire was kicking out of the thing. It, within a minute, they had it knocked down. They were and they were going in. Great. And like the video kind of went viral. It was shared all over the place. People were like, "Hell yeah!" And some people were like, "We're still bitching about it." And I'm like, "You motherfuckers!" Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, why didn't they do this? How'd yeah. they do that? Why didn't they go in there? Nobody went around the right side. Nobody looked at it. It doesn't. Yeah, you can see it all the time. So my answer to that to anybody out there is one: don't. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. You and your crew do you. Just whatever you're going to do, train on it and be, and be good at it. Whether it's smooth board, then you need to train on it. Your driver needs to know how to pump it. Your guys need to know how to lay it out. A rat's nest at the front door with any line is bad, but it's really bad with a smooth board. And, and the new pumps don't allow you to just – the, the new pumpers, or I shouldn't say new ones, the pumpers we have now as opposed to the old ones – don't allow you to really throttle up and blow those kinks out in an instant like the old ones do. So your stretch with a smooth bore is very important. It's because a kink will will get you. Uh, Cause you to have a bad day. Yeah, but you just got to pump it a little higher than what what you would think. You know, everybody's like, "Well, I got four sections of my and a smooth bore fifty. I'm just going to pump it at ninety or hundred. Yeah, you're screwed right from the jump. If if you're going by the book numbers, you're you're in the wrong. You don't want to use smoothbore. You got to pump them at least 140 plus. Something he said that I haven't heard a captain say before. Doesn't mean they don't think it. Just mm-hmm. means I haven't heard it. You know, he was talking about his firefighter that was very kind of structured in his thinking and thought process. And he said, you know, that's my goal for the year is to kind of correct that. And so often, you know, it's not only on our in our department, but throughout the career, the job as a whole, you hear that like, oh, the captain is. I'm going to build a crew that works well for me, and so I don't have to be a captain. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But it, it's it's it seems rare anymore to hear a captain say, "This is how I want to develop my crew, and here are the timeline goals that I'm going to do it with." It's I don't know, it's kind of cool to hear that. Yeah. Well, and and I think 
So maybe whenever guys get to that point in their career, I'm not saying they've checked out, but they feel like they've made it, you know? And it's like, well, I've done all this work. I've got to this spot. I can retire here from well, here. Yeah. And, you know, I want to put a, a bunch of guys around me or a bunch of firefighters, guys, girls, whatever you want to say, a bunch of people around me that I can trust that know their job that, you know, we're good to go and we're going to be the shining star of our district or of our city or wherever. I think that's kind of lazy because in my feeling on it is it's incumbent on us, not only as captains, but senior firefighters, drivers, we have to train the next generation. Because if we don't, like you said, you're training them to take your job. Right. You're training them to take my job. Once we're gone, somebody still has to do the job. Who's going to train those people if it's not people like us? Well, and in every step of this of the job, we say, you know, as a firefighter, soak as much knowledge in as you can. Learn this, learn that, learn mm-hmm. this, learn that. So much stuff for to learn. You know, as a senior firefighter, you still need to be learning and hear some more responsibility. Mm-hmm. As a driver, you know, a lot of th- the way our job is at least structured is a lot of the knowledge of a driver you should have already, and now you're just kind of fine tuning it. But then, as a captain, we we don't have a development plan we say hey you're a captain you're in charge mm-hmm. but we don't say here's how you develop mm-hmm. no, it's just it's interesting oh yeah and we we can go down the rabbit hole after we turn the camera off on that one <laughs> well and a lot of that though is and and i preach it to my guys i just you know some of that self de- is self-development you know studying on your own studying your captain i mean i've i've had the great opportunity to work for some really good captains and each one of them very different, very different in styles, very different in approach, not saying everything they did was a hundred percent great, but there was good things from each one of them. And over my time and then going all the way back to my military days, taking parts of them and then kind of combining them together and trying to develop my own style, my own leadership style, kind of combining the the best of the traits of some really good people that I've worked for. And I preach that to my guys is, you know, if you read a book or you go to a class, you go to a seminar, you go to some training, it's not going to be 100% like you're going to walk out there and be like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. But there's going to be something in it that you can take out of it. Take that. Take yeah. it out. Put it in the back of your head. Put it put in, in your lunchbox for later. Um, and actually, I think you'll find out more – with the videos and the training or, or or whatever, you'll find a lot of you like that. I don't, I don't agree with that at all, but there will be parts of it that you'll be like, now that makes sense. When that triggers in your brain, that makes sense. That's what you want to grab and hold on to. Save it for later. Package it up with a million other of those that make sense deals and then develop your leadership style. Yeah, and that's what I was going to chime in on is sometimes in those you know classes or trainings or whatever the biggest thing that you can get out of it is what not to do yeah i tell my guys all the time you want to watch a video you want to go out oh we saw this video on this train and i never say no i tell them hey at a, at a bare minimum we'll learn it doesn't work for us if we'll get something out of the training and that may be what we get out of it is like this doesn't work for us and some of it's we may go do it and be like this is great we could never do it here because 
the way our whole city operates. Just because we learned some great way to get water supply and do something because we saw some department on the West Coast and we decide to do it as our pumper alone, the guys up the street aren't doing it. So we just look like a bunch of buffoons doing something that nobody else does <laughs> or it all gets messed up because it relies on another company to give you the help. So yeah. unless you can go sell it to everybody, then it's not going to yeah. work here. Well, so, and I, I think that is something that probably needs to get done a little bit more is joint training, yeah. of especially in your district. And I know that, you know, it's it's hard to coordinate that, especially with call volumes being the way that they are now with everybody. And, you know, everybody's got their own stuff going on. But I think we need to commit to that a little bit more because I remember, you know, it was it's been – a long time ago, but in the district that I used to work in, we did those, it seemed like fairly regularly. We would get the whole district together and we would do, you know, a fly piping or water shuttle or something that involved the whole district. And it wouldn't be long, you know, you'd be out there for an hour, maybe two, depending on how many times you fucked it up or, you know, whatever. But it seemed like we kind of did that a little bit more often and it just kind of fell off. Yeah. You know, and I think it fell off as the call volume went up. Well, and that and that just takes, you know, making phone calls, calling you, you may not be able to do an entire like set up an entire district, but we kind of approach it like if we run a fire and we run it with a company and and something doesn't go the way we thought it should have went, whether it be something they did or something we did, I try and get in contact with them the next day. Yeah. And be like, hey, what happened there? You know, I mean, you guys were slow getting through the door. We were behind you. Everybody was getting jammed up. What happened? Yeah. And then talk talk about it and try and work it out and offer it. Hey, you guys want to get together and work on it? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's just a phone call. Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it's happened to us a couple of times. And then, you know, you just throw something at, well, have you tried this or that or whatever? And that, sometimes that's just it. But I think it – Getting training on our department right now is going to, it's on us. Yeah. You know, there's not going to be any, and one, in in reality, when they do, it, it, I don't know how effective it is because they do one of two things. We're either nine steps ahead of where we should be and everybody's going, what in the hell? We needed four hours of classroom before we come out here and did this. Yeah. Or it's so basic, we're out there going, really? We're doing this again? Yeah. Because it's such a large scale and everyone's skill levels and practice levels at it are so different yeah. that you bring this group in and they're like, really, you know, this is what we're doing. And then the other guys are way behind when they come in. And yeah. then if they try and make it more difficult, more realistic, you got guys going, this is insane. I don't even know what we're doing in here. Yeah. And well, and that, but that's the problem with having such a huge department. Yeah. You know, we are a large department and I was, talking to i was actually re-watching episode that we did with dana johnson um and because she's a police officer and we were kind of talking about the training you know theirs and ours and how things work and stuff like that and i was explaining to her how you know we'll do like take last training or whatever you know we get this building well we've got this building for three days yeah you've got to get everybody on a shift through in a single day yeah that's I mean, it's almost impossible to do that. And you it's like you show up, you get one time through, and then, okay, see ya. You're yeah. done. 
because we got to get the next group. And through. you better know what you're doing and how it's going when you get here. Yeah. And yes, there are some companies whose sole responsibility that drill falls on, and they should know it. But there's a bunch of us, you know, on pumpers and stuff that, while we should be familiar with the last, because if we're the eighth company in on some big incident, we may be told to be writ, and yeah. you should be knowledgeable of it. It's not something we do every day. And yeah, that kind of that happens to us a lot. Hey, we acquired this structure and we're going to do XYZ training. Oh, cool. How long we got it for? We got it for the week. <laughs> okay. So we're going to get all three shifts through and makeup days done this week. Yeah. You know, for guys who may be off on Monday, we'll catch them on Thursday. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is going to end up being a total waste of our time, but yeah. But that falls on, you know, each company and captains and leaders to, you know, come up with your own stuff and drill and and that's, I'm telling you, the biggest way to get buy-in on training is to to get the guys to do it. They want to learn. All my, at least all my guys that I have right now, and and they're younger, and that helps. Uh, you know, they're they're like sponges. They want to learn stuff. So I tell them, you go find it. We'll we'll do it. You got a topic, come up with a topic. But guess what? You're gonna teach it. You're gonna put it together. Because, one, I think you learn it better when you're teaching it. If you're teaching somebody to do something, you know, you drill it into your own head trying to teach it, and yeah. you get more comfortable with it. Um, I help them with it. I'll help get the resources for them, be a resource for them, you know, find a prop, do whatever we need to do to help them put their training together. But I would say 70% of any drill or table talk that we do, they they come up with and put it together. See, and I think that's great. And I, and and they come to me all. You know, I'm off injured right now. I was gone for two weeks, waiting to go on modified, and you know, was using sick leave and stuff, and had guys covering shifts. I come back in like the first day I walk in. They're all coming. Hey, we did it. What about that? that, 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 that. <laughs> we went in. I'm like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> you know, so even when I'm gone, I'm, yeah. I'm not even there, which would be like the time to kick back in the chair and play the video games and do whatever. The two weeks that I was gone, they're making lists of shit they want to do, and you know, so. Yeah, well, well I don't, a, I don't know. Problem I, to have. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing, but it's working. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just one. It's not like one guy comes to me all the time. It's you know they all come up with different stuff. So yeah, all well, the way my 20 year driver comes up with stuff. So well, it kind of sounds like you've created a culture there, or fostered a culture there that they feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they take pride in their station, their job, you know, and the uniform. What what I've noticed about his station in particular too is that that culture is yes amongst his crew, but I've noticed it bled over to other companies in the station as well. And that's what I think speaks even higher volumes is that like it's setting it is setting the example of like oh, hey, look what they're doing over there. That works. I I think they the other crew in our station had that amongst themselves already. Um, I think over the last year, we've meshed the two together pretty well. Uh, I think I think they had their own thing going pretty well from from the get go. But we've in the last year we've gotten better at working across the floor with one another. Well, that, sure. that's definitely something that also needs to be addressed too because how many single engine houses are there left in our city? Very few. Most of them have a pumper and a truck or a pumper and a rescue or yeah. at least a pumper and an ambulance. Right. So 
you're having to work with multiple people and figure stuff out. And especially if you, you know, you're at that, you know, you're the pumper captain and you got a truck captain there with you. You guys need to be on the same page. Yeah. Because, it, and I can tell you from experience that if you got, you know, the truck captain and, you know, you guys are going out drilling all the time and the pumper is just sitting on their fat ass, it breeds resentment in between the two it crews. Does, for sure. Yeah, you got to kind of work together. Um, you know, we don't, we're in the house with the rescues and, you know, they're, they're all, they're all rescued up. Uh, and <laughs> hey, so they go do it a lot. They uh, fold their cape just like everybody <laughs> <yeah>. else. <laughs> so we go, we'll go train with them. We may not stay out as long as they do, but like, you know, their captain will be like, Hey, we, we got this house. We're going to go do this, that, and what have you on them. Like we're in, let's go do it. We go do it. They teach my guys truck stuff, roof stuff, forcing doors, searching, doing whatever we you know, stretch lines with their guys and go over smooth board versus combo and all that kind of good stuff with them. We hang out an hour or two and then we, you know, we pack up and go. If they stay for eight hours, that's on them. But we get out together and do do stuff together. Yeah. So, it, well, yeah, like I said, I think that's very important. But we'll go do stuff on our own too. But like I said, about 60 to 70% of what we decide we want to go train on or drill on, the guys come up with on their own. Uh, when I first got back and I had some changeover on the, on the crew, a couple guys left, a couple new guys come in, new driver, you know, my first driver, the driver that was there when I was a firefighter got promoted to captain. So I got a new driver. So it's all pretty much a new crew. We did some table talks, typed some stuff up. Hey, this, you know, pumper ops, size ups, uh, customer service, all, all kinds of different stuff, four or five different things and laid out. This is kind of what I expect. Mm-hmm. This, these are my expectations. This is my end goal where we want to be. And then I leave the rest of it up to them. Well, and I think that's a, that thing that you said, customer service. I think that's something that a lot of people, and maybe not a lot of people, maybe that's just my perception, but it gets overlooked. It does. It falls mm-hmm. far down on the list, or yeah. at least it has here probably the last eight, nine years. Yeah. So, cause I mean, we got to remember these people that we're running, that we're running these calls on. They're our taxpayers. They're yeah. citizens of our city. Our job is to, they call 911, we got to show up. Yeah. Even if it's a stupid reason that they called, we're still going to show up. And it costs us nothing to be pleasant and professional. Right. And, you know, inform them if they need to be informed that, hey, this isn't something you call 911 for, give them resources, whatever it may be. Right. And I don't really think that's going above and beyond our job. I think I it just think makes so our job easier in the long run, and it keeps our public profile in the positive because, you know, we tend to forget because we run a bunch of calls and all this and all that, and we see a bunch of different people. That one time that you ran that person, that may be the only time that that person has ever interacted with a firefighter. Yeah, for sure. And their one interaction could be of you being a total jackass because they called at 2 in the morning because their smoke alarm was going off. Right. And what are they going to tell all their friends? Those firemen are jerks. Yeah, they showed up here and they were really mean. Yeah. And and you, I tell my guys and we talk about it. And in our little customer service class, we had, um, you brought up smoke alarm two o'clock in the morning. So I used to get frustrated with that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've worked at my station for a long time in in Midtown. Uh, 
and you get those calls two o'clock in the morning and you show up and you're like, you know, how can we help you? Oh, my smoke detector's chirping. Oh, okay. Probably needs a battery. Yeah. It's been doing it for like a week. And you're like, <laughs> it's 2 AM and you, it's been doing it for a week and you just called and you're frustrated about it. Um, and the weak thing still frustrates me, but it used to frustrate me with the batteries. I'd be like, you can't buy, you can't run down to CVS and buy a battery. Oh, no, I have the um, batteries right here. Uh, but since you're here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then over time, you start to see, you know, a lot of the silly calls, we would call silly calls, um, particularly in the area where I work, we get called because we are the last line of defense. Mm-hmm. They don't have anybody else to call. Yep. Their landlord does suck. And won't come fix the water heater, won't fix something in the basement. And you're like, why are you? I'm not a plumber. I'm not an HVAC guy. They don't have anybody else to call. And then you start to realize they don't have the 10. I mean, have you seen the price of 9-volt batteries? You know, a pack of twos, 12 bucks, 12 bucks. That might be two meals. Over time, you start to realize that, yeah, they're calling us because we are the last line defense. And the quicker you can get that relayed to your younger firefighters and new guys, then that eases that frustration they may have with why are we going on this silly call well because we truly are the last they called us because they had no one else to call yeah and i preach that all the time with the guys that like i get it we run the same medical calls over and over and you and the guys get frustrated on the ambulance which has our run volumes up i get that but taking that frustration out on that individual you know they have no other choice they're calling us because they don't they're either uninsured or underinsured they don't have access to great doctors like we do that our job provides us with and 911 is their primary care or they have you know swope health or, or truman is it and they have to service you know 200,000 people in our city it, you know we'll go into swope health at 8 in the morning you see somebody sitting there in the waiting room we go and get a patient leave 3 hours later you come back that same person is still sitting there I'm pissed off if my doctor's got me 15 minutes behind. I'm like, this is bullshit. I'm, I'm going to find another doctor. And yeah. I can because my insurance allows me to do it. Um, learning that as a firefighter and teaching that to your young firefighters to have that patience that they don't, they're calling us because it's the last resort. You know, why are you calling me for knee pain? Well, because I can call you and go to the emergency room or I can go sit at Swope Health for six and a half hours. Or I can go sit at Truman, you know, some other Truman program for six, seven hours waiting to get seen and then get a script and have to go sit again for three more hours waiting for it to get filled. Or I can call you. Yeah. So it's frustrating. But, you know, if you look at it from the other side, the other perspective, it's easier to say, "Okay, ma'am, let me just take you down here. So sometimes you just got to give your guys perspective on those calls. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things you know, that I've talked about recently is perspective and being able to look at, you know, a situation from more than one angle or just through the lens of your own personal experience. You got to, right. like I said, you got to think outside the box, go outside of yourself and look at these situations and go, okay, well, okay, I get it. You know, if see it from this side or see it from that side or whatever it may be. And that, you know, like you said, at the end of the day, you help the younger people understand that maybe it takes a little bit of that burden off of them. Maybe it puts off that burnout just a little bit longer. You know, it can help with, I think it can help with that. 
it I think it can help them see the purpose in what they're doing because it's very quick to say all I'm doing is running and you know picking up candies and drunks off the street or this or that. Yeah, you are, but you're also providing a service to that person because that person has no one else to call, no nowhere else to go. Uh, and it, you're absolutely right; it may take a little of that burnout. Um, you know, there's been studies with Gen Z and and millennials that one of the biggest things they want out of a job. Money was like sixth on the list. Yeah, it's job satisfaction, uh, job and purpose. Satis- yeah, purpose and impact, and letting them know that you are making an impact. It may not seem like it, but you are. It, you know, and what does that hurt to say you're doing a good job? Yeah. I'll see that sometimes, you know, on social media. Somebody said, you know, tell them a good job for just doing their job. You know, well, nobody ever told me. Okay, but it doesn't mean you didn't want them to. Just because yeah. they didn't do it doesn't mean you didn't yeah. appreciate it when they did. Yeah. And now you're just a red ass who doesn't want to do it. It doesn't hurt me one bit to pat my guys on the back and say, hey, good job on that call. You guys did great. That was a good job on the fire. Yeah. How does that hurt me at all? It doesn't at all, but it might make their day. You know, yeah. So, Well, uh, and it's, you know, you alluded to it whenever you're talking about, you know, your one firefighter. It's it's building them up. Yeah. You know, and if if all you ever do is tell somebody – you suck, you did it wrong, whatever. What do you think that's going to do to them mentally and emotionally? You know, it's not going to make them full of confidence and go for that next promotion or really want to do a good job. Right. Nine out of ten people are going to go, well, the dude doesn't fucking like me. I can't do anything right. Fuck it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that always – I kind of like that you guys bring that up because – I don't think it always necessarily has to come from a leadership standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. I, one no. thing, and I mean, you've seen this on my calls. I, 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 you probably have to. You just don't run a lot with me. But like when I'm on the ambulance and I'm running that stupid call at 3 in the morning, I don't want to be here. The pumper crew doesn't want to be here. We don't need to be here, but we're here. You know, like I, it's always one of those things, too. Like his crew's really good about it. I, usually when I pull up, the patient's ready. Like mm-hmm. either, hey, they're standing outside with the crew or – We've got this patient ready to move. We just need your cot or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then again, it's just like, hey guys, thank you for your help. It's three in the morning. I don't know you. Want, I know you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. But like, thank you. Yeah. Great job. Thank you. It's so simple. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, and the only time, at least for me, like you know, running those calls, especially, and then you know, you're waiting on an ambulance to get there. However may long, however long it may be. The only time that it's I'm been iffy. Years. Yeah. <laughs> Got a fucking beard now. <laughs> fucking oh, fuck. You gonna shave? I did yeah. before you guys got yeah. called. <laughs> yeah, I'm on mandatory day 97. Thank you. Um, but no, like, so for the most part, absolutely yes. Let's get the patient ready. Get them in the stair chair, whatever it may be. The only time that I'm iffy on that stuff is if I'm like, you know what? Maybe let's only move them one time. You know, that's just my perspective. Yeah. So yeah. if we ever do run a call together. That's usually what I'm. Thinking. We try to do that too. I mean, if they're in a in a tough spot, then we may get them moved down to the living room. But yeah, there's no sense in everybody picking and lifting and hoisting and mm-hmm. risking an injury multiple times when the ambulance isn't even there yet. Yeah. Um, on that good job pat on the back kind of stuff, I think you can take it a step further on the job. On our particular job, with the adding of EMS and AMBO, is the attitude towards the AMBO. Even guys that don't have to work it, oh, that sucks. 
that sucks. That sucks. That's a crappy job. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Well, how long do you think it takes a brand new kid on the job who's doing that job, listening to someone they respect or at least has more time of them, you know, and they have some form of respect for, say, the job you are doing, not you in particular, but the, the function you have to perform sucks. sucks. I'll, yeah. I'll answer that question. It's before they even come out of the academy yeah. now. It takes them, and if, if it's not out of the academy, it's within a couple months of listening to guys in the station before they're going, this sucks. Mm-hmm. My job sucks. What I have to do sucks. I think as a culture change on our job, whether whether you like it, you agree with it, whatever, if you're in some form or fashion putting influence on anybody beneath you, you need to have a positive attitude about it. But some of that boils down to, like I said, guys will say, well, why do I need to pat somebody on the back? Nobody ever patted me on the back. All they're doing is their job. Well, sometimes to prevent that burnout for that young kid working that ambo, it is to say, hey, you're doing good work. You know, you're doing the bulk of the work. Mm-hmm. We run 155,000 calls, 85% of them or more involve that ambulance, and 50% of the job is doing it. You're doing a great job. Appreciate it. Keep it up. Well, you know, someday you won't have to do it as much. And that I, doesn't hurt anyone in any form or fashion, but you'll hear, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks. And I think it even helps knock down disdain amongst people a little bit, like, I don't, you know, obviously the pats on the back are nice, but yeah, if you're telling me like, hey, thanks for doing this, well, thank you. Yeah. Instead of, hey, it's your job, well, fuck you, why don't you come do it? Yeah. Like, it's that simple. Well, because whenever I got hired, it wasn't my job, and I don't care that it is an integral part of what we do now, I'm still not going to do it. Yeah. How about fuck you, get on the team? And that's that's a culture shift that has to take place on our job, and of that well it it wasn't anything i was supposed to do when i got hired so i'm not doing it now guess what we are fucking problem solvers and adapters by nature that's our job so we have to adapt to this it is here it's not going anywhere nope so you can either happiness is a choice you can either (laughs) be happy and come to the station and be a productive member or you can sit over in the little angry corner and be mad about it it's not going to change well and it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to you know, like if you have two companies in a house, doesn't necessarily mean, hey, you need to be in this rotation with us. But you can lend a hand every now and then. You see it, Ambo leaves at 7 in the morning. They don't get back till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They're there for 10 minutes, and they're going out the door again. Hey, dude, sit down and eat. Throw your stuff on the truck or the rescue. I'm going to jump on this Ambo for the next couple hours so you can eat lunch and grab a nap before you got to run your nuts off tonight couple hours and you may not do it again for a month but i can promise you the guy you do that for his whole attitude for the day is going to change his whole attitude about that station is going to change it it affects people just a couple hours or if you do want to be nice and come in and be like hey i'm i'm gonna grab this front half for you today throw your stuff on the truck well i'm on the pumper you don't have to do that no i know i don't have to nobody's telling me to i'm just doing it because I've watched you get your head pounded in. I'm just going to do it for you. That will change that dude's world, at least for the month, if not forever. He he will have a different perspective, I promise you. Yeah. Well, and it also brings that station cohesion. Yeah. You know, it's that true team mentality. We're all, we've all got the ball, and we're trying to move it towards the goal together. Yep. Instead of, I'm offense, you're defense. 
But when it's everybody's on when a subject gets brought up, too many guys who aren't responsible for ambulances, and I say that word responsible because it's not assigned to their company. It's not. It truly isn't their technical responsibility. Get way defensive real quick. Like I'm saying, Mm -hmm. you should be in the rotation and on there every other day. I'm not saying that at all. You're right. You've got the time. You've got the seniority. You bid to a spot that doesn't have an ambulance attached to it. I'm not saying you should be there all the time. But if you look across the floor and see one of your brothers or sisters just getting their heads pounded in every day, again, three hours in the afternoon, finish out a shift for them. Give them a break in the middle so they can eat their lunch. Yeah. You'll buy them a beer. Yeah. But you won't (laughs) give them an hour of a break. Yeah. If, if, if it called for it, they would ju- literally jump down in a hole with somebody filled with shit to dig a body out or put a fire out and literally get themselves covered in feces. But you won't slide across the floor to run down to research two or three times for me over the next hour. I mean, it it doesn't make sense. And, and like I said, a lot of guys go on the defensive thinking I'm saying, well, you should just be in the rotation. It should be it is your. Re- no, it's not your responsibility to make the ambulance go down the road. However, I do feel it is your responsibility to help out your fellow firefighter. 100%. Yeah. Well, it's sharing the load. Yeah. Many hands make light work. And I think you're starting to see some, some buy-in around in some places. Some guys do mm-hmm. help. And it does start small. Again, it starts with that two-hour break. Get a guy from across the floor. You get one guy from across the floor to come give a two- or three-hour break. And then another guy would be like, well, I can't let him do it, and I'll not do it. So, I'll, yeah. you know, a couple of days I'll do it. And then one of them will eventually, you know, I'll do half. And you, know, you know what's fascinating is arguably our two biggest stations in the city are the ones that I've seen us adapt the best. The ones with the, by far the most different personalities are the ones that have adapted this mindset the best. It's, it's interesting. Like, there's 14 ears, 12 at – the one you're at normally, it's a lot of personalities, and they all somehow seem to. It takes time. On board. It takes time. It yeah. takes a lot of cussing and discussing. It takes a lot of hurt feelings. I mean, we've had guys leave over the situation. Unfortunately, we finally started going in the right direction here a few months ago. You know, for whatever reason, you know, it it started to click, started to work, but you know, it wasn't easy. It, you got to continue. It's a continuous. Back to the very beginning, communication. You got to communicate with people. You got to be able to talk to people on a true level. You can't shame people into doing it. You can't motherfuck somebody into doing. All all that does is create bad blood and and hurt feelings, and you're not going to get anywhere. It takes communication, and you know you got to stay persistent. Because yeah. again, it, it it truly is. You know, if you're on a squad and there's a truck or a rescue in your house, that squad. That ambulance is your responsibility, and you bid into it. It is our apparatus. It has our number on it. It is not the guys across the floor's responsibility to make that ambulance go down the road. But like I said, it is their responsibility to not let their fellow firefighters get their heads beat in. And there's there's a difference. And it's from the top down. Well, yeah, and and that's what I was going to say. That station, like I, I remember your old DSO. I got mandatory to that station on the back half of a shift one day, and I'm like, I'm going to get murdered on the ambulance tonight. And the DSO, who's the captain of the, you know, of a station, is like, nah, I got you, bro. And we damn near got in a fist fight over who was going to do it. <laughs> but, you know, like, that's, yeah. that's well, what Well, even is. just the offer sometimes, you know. 
But what I was going to say to that is, you know, I think it's it's incumbent on the captains and on the senior leadership to set that culture. Yeah. And stay committed to it of, no, this is how we do things here. This is what we want to see. We're not going to let ourselves get to be like this station. We're going to be, you know, we want to all come to work. We want to have a good time. We want to run calls. We don't want to be miserable at work. Right. And this, there's a direct relationship between that. You know, you've got guys that get burnt out. Once you get burnt out, you're fucking miserable. And guess what? It makes the whole fucking station miserable. Yeah. And one person, we all know this, one person can tank a station. Oh, quickly. Very quickly. Uh, yeah, and, and to that point, it takes everybody. I mean, when when we became a squad seven years ago or how, whenever it was, you know, when I talk about it, it takes communication across the floor to get help. Hell, it took communication within the own, our own company based on the rules that were set up and who mm-hmm. specifically had to do it and who didn't. And I was just as guilty of it in the beginning of mm-hmm. not doing it as often. I mean, I was I got credentialed. First off, my captain got credentialed immediately and took uh, would take a 24-hour shift. He'd take Sundays. He'd take the ammo the whole day. And I'm like, well, shit, if he's going to – can't let him do it and I not do it. That's leading uh, by example, though. And But That's... then, you know, we operated more on of a we, – we kept seniority involved in it. And looking back on it, that was – we should have gotten to where we're at now quicker. I wish we would have. And, and a lot of that fell on me as the senior firefighter on that crew. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's – over time, again, like I said, you, you learn, you adapt, you get out and you float and you see around the city and you're like – you come back and you're like, yeah, those were mistakes I made, and now that I'm here, we're not going to have those same mistakes. You know, we're going to – and it works. I mean, you know, everybody yeah. takes a little bite. Uh, even my driver, he's got 20 years on. He does back half Saturdays, back half weekends, whatever day we're working on the weekend. Yeah. And that's the night that he wants to do. And it's they argue insanity. with him. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I ain't got nothing else to do on the weekend, so I'm working the back half. You guys got – kids and babies at home and you're gonna go home on the weekend your wives are off work saturday your wives are off work on sundays you don't need to go home tired i'm doing the back half and you know he just sets that example and so the guys follow and take care of one another most of the time when i got to step in and make a decision with my crew is because they're all passing the buck on who's gonna get the most favorable stuff you know it's like well, yeah. you, t- I'll take it. No, I'll, I'll take, I'll do it. You know, but you did it last time. No, I'll do. It. I got to step and be like, all right, we don't have all day. You're taking the <laughs> detail. You're going. You know, yeah. It's usually not to come in and fix some major problem where they're arguing over something. Yeah, they're it's, all trying to do each other a favor, right? And, and it's like, look, I don't have all day. Chief's texting me. I need to know who's going. Yeah. And if you're not going to figure it out, you're taking it this time. You know. So. That's that's the but best that's a problem culture. to yeah, have. It is. Uh, the problems I have on my company are the best kind of problems to have. It's usually, you know, easy fixes. A lot of it's communication. We're not perfect by any means. I mean, guys can, you know, get sideways on stuff. You know, everybody's got a personality. Everybody has a bad day or whatever. It, again, it all boils back to communication, how you talk to one another and or even talking to one another. Yeah. I've seen that floating is – you show up and you know, you're the outsider and you talk to a couple guys and they're like, Oh, this guy over here, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. you're like, wow. 
you, you know, and then later on the day or the next day you're there, you're talking to that guy. And he's like, ah, those guys over there, a bunch of blah, 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 blah. And then at some point you're like, have you guys even talked about this? And they don't even, re- you, nobody's come up and said, hey, dude, yeah, this is where you're doing this bothering us, and Dr. this is Phil, why it bothers us. Dr. Phil, the floated captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, was, it just amazed me how, how many issues you would find in a station that they haven't even tried to air out or come up with a solution. They're just pissed off at one another. And Yeah. Thankfully for my brief time that I've been floating, I haven't run into that situation. I've been pretty lucky that where I've been, it seems like everybody gets along. Either that or they just don't talk in front of me. Yeah. You it, know, most stations that. do. Probably that. <laughs> I think the biggest thing I found floating was how different it is around the city, what the issues are at the station. And not necessarily mm-hmm. like internal issues with the station, like you go work up north and float up north and guys will be sitting around and they're venting their issues with the department or a certain person in a department. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, like, what are you guys all pissed off about up here? Yeah. And you go out south, they're mad about something else. You go to Midtown, they're mad about something else. Mm-hmm. Within Midtown, you can go to different stations, go up to one, and they're just fired up to all get out about something. You're like, nah, I haven't even heard that. What yeah. are you talking You know, we have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Just how different the little areas of the city can be and what what each group is determining. You know, this is the biggest issue on the fire department. You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody's in their own little bubble. Yeah. So, and what personally affects them is the biggest issue. And that was one of the, my favorite things about floating was getting out to the different stations. Because I get in my little bubble, Mm -hmm. you know, very complacent where I work with the same people for a long, long time. And then you get kicked out to go float, go to a district. I didn't know anybody in the district. If they weren't a driver or a captain, most of them were very young when I went and floated downtown. I'm like, I didn't know any of them. And again, you go from station to station and you know, you got to squabble here, squabble here. There, whatever their issue with the department is, whatever their issue with the union is, you hear it. Then you swap districts and go to a district and they're not even talking the same as this district over here. It's like yeah. just weird how different each district and each area of the city will be. Their own little bubble and what they consider are big problems or little problems or whatever. But that was the funnest part about floating, getting out and seeing, you know, getting out of my bubble and yeah. seeing what's going on out in the rest of the world. Yeah. I, you know, and right before I got promoted, I had moved from the station that I'd been at for a little while and went out south, which I'd never worked out south before other than whenever I'd floated as a firefighter. I got detailed out there once, I think. Um, But it was different, like, immediately going out there. I was like, wow, this is, like, super different than what I'm used to. So, I mean, I think that helped me with my transition from, you know, firefighter to captain. And then also it didn't hurt that, you know, I got placed in a district where the chief was my former captain yeah. <laughs> who helped me get promoted. So, you know, it's it was one of those fortuitous situations, you know. But, yeah, it's definitely moving around and not staying. And I'm not going to say it's bad to stay at one place for a long time because there is something to be said of, you know, because I had that at one point. I was at one station and we had the core group of guys there for like seven years. And it was to the point where we would run a call 
Captain didn't have to say anything. Driver didn't have to say anything. We didn't have to talk to each other. Everybody knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, it was a well-oiled machine. And then that changed. And you go back to, shit, okay, now i got to tell this person what to do. And now the captain, I need to know what he wants me to do. And, you know, I think there's a a little bit of a, it's just a good thing to be able to go and work in different places, mostly just to get a different perspective and learn new things of, well, I've done it this way for 10 years, but I go over here and work and they do it this way. And you know what? This way kind of works a little bit better for me. Not to say that this way is wrong, but I kind of like this one a little bit better. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, you know, back to the 50, 50 in a room on stuff, you know, yeah you go see stuff but you know having that well-oiled machine crew i mean that's what i grew up with at 35s on c shift you know we were all there forever until i bit over to a shift and then a shift i was there with all those same guys and then when i first came back to 35s a as a captain the crew was all the same so it was you know you just i slipped into the right front seat but it was still all the same guys and it was that a hard transition for you? It's different. I, I wouldn't say it was hard. I think um, having been the senior guy there before I left, I had built up some respect with them in that kind of informal leadership role. Street cred. That, that when I came back as the <laughs> captain, it really wasn't wasn't too big of a deal. It, it some situations were a little awkward, but you know it it wasn't it wasn't a big transition for me. Uh, but then, you know, with the Ambo stuff and guys getting burned out and so on and so forth, a couple of the guys left. You know, we had a medic. Well, as soon as I got back, one of the medic spots was open, and it filled like two weeks after I got there. And pretty much within a few months' time period, I had one promotion and two guys bid out to non-Ambo spots, and the whole crew flipped over. And then we're back to square one of not having that crew who'd worked together forever. And, you know, I didn't have to say anything to, well, what do you want? How are we going to do this? And at first, I, you know, when, when I knew it was all happening, I'm like, well, this sucks, you know. But now that we're in the process of it, it's actually been better for me um, because you do get complacent. You know, you, you get used to, hey, this it's just going to flow. Well, now we're back to okay, we got kids that are just came on the job, and then I've got a couple kids that are just getting into that, getting ready to WOC as captain-type kind of stuff and stretch their wings out a little bit as informal leaders. And and then I have a senior guy who just bid to me and then a driver who's got 20 years on. So I've got a whole range now of, you know, not everybody with 10 years like the crew was. Yeah. Now we've got a crew of, you know, two, three, seven, eight, eleven, and twenty. So we have a whole spectrum of guys that need to be trained, guys that need to be, you know, groomed all the way around beyond tactics, you know, because some of them they're very young. A lot of them. So it keeps me from getting complacent, you know, keeps me on my toes. And I like it. I, I enjoy it actually. It keeps me more engaged. It's not just like I know it's going to happen. I have to make sure it's going to happen. And then, you know, we can just kind of go from there. So, yeah, it, it's kind of nice to not have the well. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I want the well-oiled machine. Yeah. But I'm enjoying the process of turning these guys into that well-oiled machine. Right. And that is my goal is to take, okay, so now we've 
flipped the crew over. We've got this wide range. And even the older guys have come from different captains, different leaders. We've never really worked together. And we've put them all together. And now the fun part for me is taking this group so that I'm hoping in a couple of years I'm back to that well-oiled machine. Yeah. Um, and that's why I tell them all the time. My, my goal is to teach you and train you to take my job. And quite honestly, if in two or three years from now, if I'm the smartest guy on this rig two or three years from now, then I've failed. Because every one of you should know everything I know and then hopefully more within a few years. Or at least been told it or taught it. So, I, you know, my point to that is I don't withhold anything from anybody. I'm very secure in my position, in my rank, in my spot, and my leadership abilities that I don't have to hold anything back. To yeah. be like, well, I'm going to keep this little nugget over here just to keep my head above everybody quite honestly if in three four five years if they're still struggling and not not able to do my job then i'm failing in my job in my opinion well it all it all boils down to how do you want to leave the job yeah you know how do you want to leave your crew you know do you want to have those guys that you know you're the captain that you get a crew and everybody that you that works under you that you're responsible for go ahead and moves on and gets promoted and takes that next step in their career you know do you want to be that guy or do you want to be the guy that well i got the same guys and they're still idiots yeah you know yeah i hope after i retire and i swing back through a station or run into a bunch of firemen at a bar after i'm retired and i start bringing up guys that work for me that they're like oh he's a chief now oh he's he's this he's a captain he's oh he's retired retired as a captain then i'll be like okay you did good. Not, uh, he's still, uh, you know, he's, yeah. he's, that he's, motherfucker. he's still, he's still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> he's on his seventh captain since you left. And, yeah. You know, my heard he just got broken to drive. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's, you know, and, but the, I mean, the, the reality of it is, is not everyone that ever works for you or everybody on this job is going to be a captain or it, retires a captain. There's exactly. only so many spots. Yeah. I, I just, it's my job to make sure they're prepared to do it if they need to do it or, yeah. or if they want to do it. Not everybody yeah. wants that job. Yeah. You know, not everybody wants that specific title or role or whatever. And that's fine too. But yeah. I don't want them to not do it or take the test because they didn't feel like they were prepared for it. Right. And by prepared, I don't mean studying some books. And I mean, like they go home with their wife and they're like, I'm ready. I could be a captain. I feel like it. I've been trained. I'm ready to go. Well, and ultimately, with the way that we are structured now with being able to be a firefighter and ride out as captain, you have to do that. Yeah. You I, When you reach a certain point in your career, you need to be able to take that responsibility because there may come a day, especially with our staffing issues that we have, you might not have a choice. You might not want the responsibility. It may be thrust upon you. True. And Very true. it's like, hey, you, you need to ride out today. Because we've got no one else that can. It, it's That's just the nature of the shop. It's the next man up. Yeah. We've had line of duty deaths, and guess what happens the very next shift? Somebody's in their seat. Yeah. And 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 with that, the you know, learn the tactics, study the books, get out and train and drill. But don't forget the other skills that come with the leadership side, the communication skills, the teaching skills, the listening skills. The, and that's one of the biggest ones is listening. We have a horrible, we do horrible on this job of listening to one another. We listen, but we listen to shoot back a response and defend our position. 
we're not actually listening to understand why someone's upset or understand what's truly bothering them, you know, and, and that's, those are all of that are skills that go into being a good, a good leader. In my opinion, I think if you go around this job and ask people, you know, who was your favorite captain, who was your favorite chief, who was your what, and you start hearing the same names that guys put out there and then you go dig a little deeper on those guys, you'll find that those traits were in there. And and those are skills that can be learned too. You know, fighting fires and car wrecks and extrications and EMS protocols, that is absolutely important. I mean, that's what we do. But on the flip side of that, the, of the leadership side, I think some guys, a lot of guys put a lot of effort into it, but, you know, some guys lack those skills, the – the interpersonal skills of dealing with people of noticing when there's a problem with somebody and maybe they notice how the problem, but they don't really know how to approach it, how to, you know, sit down and have that conversation with a person, you know, what's going on, what's bothering you. Cause you've been really great. And now all of a sudden you're not, you know, what's going on that's causing that. That's, and then knowing what to do with that. Right. Uh, our biggest asset on the fire department is the people themselves. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. We can buy the most expensive fire trucks, the most expensive equipment, the most everything, build billion-dollar stations. The most valuable asset we have are, are the people. Um, when I was studying for the captain's test, you know, you went through it, your personnel scenarios, and, you know, everybody mm-hmm. gives you, oh, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. The greatest piece of advice I got was from Travis Williams, former chief. It all comes back to the people. Abnormal behavior. And and then he stopped and he said, and that's not just for this test. He said, that's that's my two cents for the if rest you of make, your career. Yeah, yeah. Is it all boils back to the people. Well-rounded, well-adjusted people don't come to work and intentionally break rules, don't come and intentionally not do the things they know they're supposed to do. If they're not doing the things they're supposed to do, whether it's showing up on time, checking equipment, you know, halfway following grooming policies because our department's <laughs> horrible about that so you can't you know whatever the case may be if they're all of a sudden yeah. just doing things outside the box most normal adjusted people don't do that so something's going on he's like so find out what the problem is is whether it's something at home it may be a wife maybe a kid somebody may be sick they may be broke they may be losing their house whatever you find out what that is and you help them get that fixed he's like all this silliness at the station will take care of itself their attitudes, their relationships with their fellow crew members, their willingness to help around the station, making sure they're wired tight at work will come back together if you fix the problem they have at home. And 90% of firemen's problems come from something happening at home or to fall into something you guys talk about a lot would be their mental health. Something's going on upstairs. It's not, you know, not working right for them at the moment. And you have to be able to identify that. And, yeah, we're not counselors. We can't fix it. You know, we may be able to give some advice just based on our own experiences. But you can get them going in the right direction. Get them to the people who can help them. And then also let them know you're there to to help, you know, to lean on support and that you're not going to turn your back on them. You're not going to ostracize them because they're going through a divorce or whatever the case may be. And that can go a long way. It just starts with listening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With the bare bones of it, it just starts with listening well and i'll go a little further than that a little bit deeper it's trust because you have to foster a culture that they feel comfortable talking to you about that right 
because it doesn't matter if, you know, yeah, you see Joe Schmo, he's having a problem, he's showing up late, whatever, and you pull him into your office and you set him down. If that's the biggest, you know, the most interaction that you've had with him, you haven't had those yeah, if that's table, the, yeah. the first one, he's going to be like, no, I'm good, Captain, I'm yeah. good. You have to foster, you have to build relationships. Yeah. You can't be like, and you remember how it was whenever we came on. You didn't talk to the chief. You just didn't. You know, you as a firefighter, if the chief talked to you, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever, you kept moving. You didn't go to him and, hey, chief, how's it going? You just walk into his office. I've seen a shift in that where guys <laughs> have started. Chief, my chief would call the station, get the lineup from the captain, and be like, hey, let me talk to Moraine real quick. <laughs> <laughs> see, but <laughs> I've seen. About some Jeep shit. <laughs> yeah, but, but see, I've seen that shift with a lot of chiefs that I've worked with in the past, I would say, 10 years, where they've, it seems like they've taken more time to be more involved with their firefighters. And I don't know if it's like trying to build that rapport or trust or whatever. And I've noticed, you know, some captains starting to do it. And it, captains, I think it's a little bit easier because you're around them all the time and you can bridge that gap. It, it's not as hard. Are you talking about but, bridging the gap from a captain to his firefighters or yeah. bridging the gap from the chief to the firefighters via the captain? No, from the captain to the firefighters. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because you're at the station, you're working together. So it's easy. You know, you're sitting down for a meal, you're talking, you're building that rapport. For a chief, it's a little bit different because you don't have that daily interaction right. to make them feel comfortable. But I've seen more people make the effort once they've reached that level of to kind of continue on as they were as a captain of, yeah, you know, taking care of their people. I, and it probably, you know, the the shift in dynamics of leadership styles from, you know, old school, old school, you know, hardcore military structure mm -hmm. to kind of what we're talking about today with the, you know, servant leadership and, um, you know, not being so autocratic, but more of a democratic style uh, started long before me. So the, the guys that are chiefs now, former captains, you know, they kind of started it. And then they're adapting it more in that chief style. Yeah. So, yeah, you do see the guys more easily talking to a chief when he walks into the state. You know, everybody's initially lets the chief do his thing, you know, say whatever he's going to say. And then it quickly becomes, so anyways, let's talk about chiefs or yeah. whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. When you didn't see that in the past, you know, everybody would just stand there and be quiet. And the captains would talk to the chief and you just stood there waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they're talking about fishing and jeeps yeah. and vacations <laughs> and whatever. And you're just standing there going, could we go outside or go to my room now? Or... We so. had a ping pong game going and. And that's all, so. all of that's good. I think that's great. It, as long as, you know, you still understand that's the guy in charge. Exactly. You know, and you don't take advantage of that on a professional level. You know, guys go golf, go fishing, go do whatever together. And, yeah, you may be the chief. As long as you're at work and you're teaching, you know, treating him in that manner and yeah, and referring to him in that manner when you're around other people, that's a tough one, you know. Yeah. Um, I've actually quite the opposite is I've worked with guys who have made captain and then went and made chief i find it hard to not call him chief or captain uh i yes when we're sitting at a bar having a beer i'm like hey chief hey chief and they're like hey dude 
We're not at work. You know what I'm like? It's just, we it, grew up together. But yeah. It, it, that's hardwired into me from military time and growing yeah. up on a personal level is showing that sign of respect to someone who's in an authority spot over you. Yeah. So I'm just the opposite. I have a hard time not calling them by their rank and yeah. And they're like, look, dude. <laughs> I know. I've had the same conversation multiple times. We're a half yeah. a bottle of whiskey into it at a strip club. You can stop calling me that. <laughs> <laughs> the girls are going to come to me because I know I have more money. Thanks, asshole. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but yeah, but that, you know, that kind of brings me to that point of, you know, you have to build that trust yeah. with the people that you're working with to, you know, make them feel open or to let them feel open enough to come to you with those type of problems. Sure. Because, I mean, that's a hard thing, especially whenever you start talking about mental health and stuff because of historically how it has been viewed on the fire department. You know, it's uh, weakness and all of that stuff. I mean, yeah, just because this person has only been on the job for two years or three years or whatever doesn't mean he hasn't heard or she hasn't heard all of these things. Right. Because, I mean, I'm sure you guys hear it just like I hear it, different stations around the city. That sentiment is still there and it's still circulating and it's still finding those younger firefighters. And I, I can see know, that. I think a lot of mental health stuff or PTSD stuff catches a bad rap from not necessarily a guy, guy sitting around saying, well, that guy's weak because he's having a mental health issue or an alcohol issue or a you know, PTSD from, I don't think you'll get a fireman saying, well, that guy's weak because of it. The stigma comes from, you'll hear more guys saying, man, that guy's full of shit. He, he doesn't have PTSD. There ain't no way to prove it. And he ain't never been anywhere. Yeah. What's he talking? Been on job six months and all of a sudden he's got PTSD. So yeah. this guy over here, hears us talking that way. Mm -hmm. And then when he does have, and maybe whoever we're talking about has a legit problem. We don't know. We're dumb as firemen. We don't yeah. know. But this kid over here listening to us have that conversation gets a stigma from us that we're going to think that way about him. Yeah. And then when he does have a problem, he doesn't want to speak up. When in reality, if we, if he truly has a problem, we'll bend over backwards to help him. I mean, you see it all the time. Something happens with a fireman, guys start falling out of trees, giving time and help and anything you can, mowing yards and painting houses and roofing houses and, you know, doing anything we can to help a firefighter who's in need. And I, I don't think it's so my opinion is that it doesn't get that stigma of, of guys literally sitting around saying, well, that guy's weak, but they hear us saying, well, that's bullshit. There's no way that guy can have PT. He's just trying to milk the system. Yeah. And then it gets a stigma that way. Guys overhearing it. So then they don't want to step up and be that guy when they truly are having a problem. I, I actually agree with it a thousand percent. Um, just cause I was the same way with my injury. Like when I got burned, Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck, no, I'm not fucking going home. I'm not unmodified. I'm not like them yeah. that are abusing the system. Yeah. You put didn't want to go to the hospital. I didn't want to go to the hospital. Put my ass back to work. Yeah. Like, I, I threw a fucking tantrum, did I not? Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> like. And how did I handle that tantrum? I don't know. I stayed at work. <laughs> but, you know. Like, but I made but you go to the hospital, though, didn't yeah. I? But, like, he, he's 100% correct because we, we eat our own. In oh, that, absolutely, in that we respect. do. But I, I, I never thought about it till he said it. But yeah, it's not that we we could just like we just discredit it. Like, yeah, like if if you could slide a piece of paper over that said I ran this test, and here the green shows that I have PTSD. 
I don't think there's a fireman on the job that would be like, oh, you're weak. They'd be like, well, dude, what can I do to help you? Maybe you need to find a new career. Can we get you? Whatever. The problem is there's not a test that shows that green line. It's all a. Well, I was at the same call he was at, and I'm perfectly that, fine. Exactly. So yeah. you get, and that's that's the lack of understanding of mental health and, and how all that kind of works because you and I can see all the same stuff, and it may affect you different, and it may not affect. I tell my wife all the time because I'll have that conversation with my wife. I'll be like, I was at a lot of the same calls as this guy or that guy or this girl. I don't understand. I said, but doesn't mean my dam's not going to break someday. It just hadn't broke yet. So, yeah, it's a lot of just misunderstanding. But I don't. I if there was a definitive way to say here's this guy's problem or this gal's problem, I don't think I don't think firemen consider it a weakness. We just bag on one another because we we automatic. Our first thought is to go to the ass bullshit. He's just trying to get a pension, just mm-hmm. trying to get some money. How the dude's been on job six months? How can he? You know, I've been on here twenty years. I've seen way more. Okay, it just. And then you factor in that some people do bullshit the system yeah. creates a problem. But yeah. that's that's in any system with any problem, you know, even just regular modified duty. I, in the last two weeks, I've had more guys go, fucking guys on modified duty. I mean, not you, obviously. You're, <laughs> I mean, you're, truly, you're truly hurt. <laughs> we can see you have stitches and everything. But I get it, you know, so. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's It's not visible. Yeah, it's, you're not gonna wear this, a brace. This for I it. can show it. Yeah, and guys will go, okay, well, he is hurt, so yeah. we're not gonna give you trouble. But them well, other guys on modified. Yeah, well, but it, it, I want to go back to what you said of, um, you know, it's. Oh shit! I just fucking lost it. <laughs> Fuck. Um, it'll come back to me. So just we're fine continue. if it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, lack lack of understanding about mental health. And, you know, how PTS works, how PTSD works, and all of that stuff. And that's where the education portion of it comes in. Yeah. Of, you know, we need to do, and we had David Struther on last week. His episode just went live yesterday. Um, and he talked about that a little bit. He's a therapist, runs programs that are specifically for military, fire, police, you know, EMS. Um and that's a big proponent of all of his, you know, treatment plans and all of that stuff is basically it's just education yeah. of this is what's going on in your brain. This is what's happening. This is why it's happening. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, it's once we know that we can deal with it. Sure. But it's getting everybody else to, you know, get all that information to everybody else of well, and, and a lot of uh, firemen's issues or military, police, people in our line of work, and probably just people in general, is our first reaction is to try and deal with it ourselves and not oh, yeah. not open <laughs> ourselves up. It's like, well, I can deal with this. I can fight this back. And then, you know, whether it be drinking or alcohol or, sh- you know, shutting down or whatever, you know, I've dealt with my own issues when I first came on the job. Uh it really didn't have anything to do with fire department stuff, but yeah, I've been down that road of depression and alcohol and, you know, suicidal stuff. And it's a shit show. And that's why I can say, I can promise you the guys on the job. Most of the guys on the job don't look at it as a weakness because I had a lot of people reach out and help me through what I was going through. Um, and I think it would fall more into the hearing, hearing guys bullshit around the table of like, well, that guy's full of shit, you know? If there was a 
a definitive way to see it. But again, a lot of it is on the education side of it and our, you know, educate people on what it is, how to, because our first step, everybody wants to deal with shit on our own. Yeah. We want to, we don't want to seem weak. We don't want to look weak. So I'm just going to fight this. I can deal with this. Well, um, and by, by the nature of most people that come into these professions, we're helpers. Yeah. We are the people that help, you know, we, we don't need the help. We give the help. Yeah. And it's hard to admit, you know, okay, I'm fucked up. I need some help. (laughs) Well, and I think there's been a shift in the job. I mean, we've always talked about runs and stuff, but I think there's been a shift in the job where we, after something really shitty happens, guys do a better job of reaching out to one or, Hey, you all right. That was pretty, pretty jacked up. You know, you know, are you doing okay with that? And we may laugh about it in our sick, dark sense of humor or whatever, but I think guys do do a better job these days of, you know, looking out for one another after a bad call as opposed to 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, Back to all the way back to the beginning when we were talking like how to integrate and communication spouses and stuff. I'd never talked to anybody off the job when I first came on about anything. Um, And then when I went, had the issues that I had, one of the biggest things that I've found is communicating with my spouse. Yeah. When I'm in some form of, I may not give her all the details of something if we see something shitty, but instead of just coming home and saying my day was fine yeah. and rolling on with it, I'll say it was kind of messed up. We were, you know, we ran a fire and this dude was melted, you know. Yeah. Well, what ultimately happens, and we had our my wife on and we were kind of talking about that, about how do you talk to your spouse about it? How much do you share or whatever? And she was kind of giving her perspective of it. And she goes, it's, it's like Mad Libs. So you come home, you're grumpy, you know, you're, you're not yourself. There's something going on. You you ran a bad call, whatever it was. If you don't give some information, then we're just going to fill in the blanks ourselves. Right. And it's going to, it's not ever going to be anything good. He's mad at me. He's this, that, Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think communic- it, it goes back to your thing with communication. It's communicating with them. But I think, and it's going to vary for every couple and every individual of how much should you share and what should you share. Yeah. Because secondary trauma is a very real thing. You know, and if you're... They're suffer suffer because you're suffering. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like you run a call that's really jacked up and then you go home and you just completely download everything. And then your wife starts having fucking nightmares about this or that, you know, basically what that call was. Well, you just fucking traumatized your wife, you know, now if your wife is, let's say a nurse or, you know, a cop or whatever, something similar to our field, maybe you share a little bit more, but if your wife's a, an accountant or, you know, a secretary or teacher or something like that. You guys need to talk about that and figure out how far that conversation is going to go. What she wants to know and what she needs to know are two different things. Yep. Yeah. That's a big deal. Um, but you gotta, you gotta let them in a little bit. Yeah. Or, or like you said, like your wife told you, we just start making stuff up while you're mad and figuring it out. 
But yeah, that cheating. Like, like those memes on Facebook. Like, I wonder what he's thinking about. Yep. <laughs> it's like, but that all, just would have handed the ball off. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you tie all that back again to as a crew keeping the wives involved gives them, you know, people to talk to and. You know, I got young kids on my crew whose wives are new to the fire department. You know, some some of them may not have been married when or on the fire department when they got married. So it's not like they walked into this. They didn't date during this lifestyle. They just all of a sudden now it's 24, 48 and these calls and he's coming home. And it can be a hard adjustment for oh. a spouse. So, you know, if you got older guys on your crew, you know, you, you need to. If you can get their wives and they're willing to, you know, to open up to the younger wives and talk to them. And, you know, I work a ton of overtime. My wife and I both play fantasy football. Her football team name is Overtime Widow because I'm gone so much. (laughs) That's what she calls her football team. So she understands the fire department. She understands my perspective from the fire department. So she tries to reach out to the wives and keeps that group. And I know, you know, the, the local has an auxiliary group and all of that kind of stuff. So. Got to got to keep the ladies involved too, so they at least have an understanding. Oh, absolutely. Of what's going on. Well, I mean, the the reality is that we are in a career field that it's not just us. It right. does affect your whole family. Yeah. You know, and for me personally, um, whenever I grew up, my dad got out of the military right before I was born, and he went right offshore. So, the way that I grew up was. I knew he was going to be gone. It was going to be 14 days at a time or 21 days at a time or 30 days at a time. So for me, you know, celebrating Christmas in November or January, not such a big deal. But for a lot of people, most people, I would say, it's kind of odd not to celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day or Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day or, oh, well, you got to work. You can't make it to the birthday party. Well, yeah, like it's just the way that it fell this year. You know, next year I'll be able to make it, you know. I, I grew up the same way. My dad was a truck driver. My mom was a nurse. So, you know, we did things when we did them. You know, my dad wasn't at every ball game. He yeah. would love to be at them if he could be there, but he wasn't always there. And that's a huge culture shift over yeah. the years and that not only are we dealing with, but everyone's dealing with is – you know, there's more of an emphasis, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing of, you know, family. You know, I got to be at my son's ball game or my daughter's recital or whatever. And I get it and understand it's just not very conducive to our job. No. And it's it's causing issues on our job, and it's going to continue to cause issues <laughs> on our job. And I don't know how, you know, that's, that's a tough one way above my pay grade to fix because, you know, the science will tell you that that's the most important thing to this younger generation is family time jobs with an impact you know if you get them to stay at a job three years you've like oh yeah you've outdone yourself you've won and then here we are saying well we need you now for the youngest on the job 27 is their retirement so we need you for 27 years yeah when everything out there would tell you they're they're job hoppers you know because they're constantly looking for that satisfaction that move up that you know so I don't know. Fire service may be in for a lot of changes. Yep. Well, I mean, we're going to have to adapt and roll with the times. Well, we do. And we kind of got a shift from the old days of, hey, you come on this job, you should know what you're doing. Just shut up and follow me. We're going to have to teach skills beyond fire tactics. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that's kind of the the direction I've taken my stuff. And, 
hopefully other guys will, my leadership style is we got to teach beyond fire department, medical calls and extrications and tactics because they just grew up in a different generation. Well, and it's, you know, for the same reason you came here, like the camaraderie you had in the military and the camaraderie I had, you know, playing sports throughout high school and college, <clears throat> everyone will tell you, yeah, we're here to develop you as a football player. We're here to develop you as a soldier, whatever it may be. But this is also giving you life skills. Yeah. It's the same with the fire department. It's it's career, not a job. So it's going to develop you as an adult, just like as a, as an adult, as it will a firefighter. We just have to recognize it, that it's going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's getting the buy-in from that younger generation to view it that way. I think it's to get the buy-in as well from, again, the, the gap leaders between mm-hmm. the old school and the new school to buy in, you know, to under, to understand, not necessarily buy in, but understand that the roles are shifting. And then some of the older school captains that are still around and still have five, six, seven, eight, you know, maybe they only, they have 22 years on, they plan on staying for 32. Well, if you're in that leadership role, what you've done for the, for the last 10 years as a captain may have to shift yeah, because your crew is going to get younger and younger and you're either going to get more frustrated, more frustrated, <laughs> Or you, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. And it's almost like you're not just a fire captain teaching tactics. You're almost a father figure parent that you're having to teach the social skills, the communication skills, the walk up to somebody, look them in the face and tell them how you're feeling. Don't send them five emojis and whatever a in a text that, yeah. hey, you really upset me. Yeah. Okay, great. You're obviously not too upset. You didn't say anything. Well, I did say something. I sent you a text. Yeah, that's not how the real world operates. Yeah. Well, I am a clue everybody in on something. There's no nuance in text. Yeah. It is totally on the receiving party of how that text is received. Right. And the the inflection. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Because there's no inflection, there's no body language. And that's a key component in communication. Right. So, and, you know, I, I view it more. Maybe not necessarily as, you know, a parent father figure, more as a mentor role. Sure, same. Yeah, that's where I I'm mean, going with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, less about holding their hand and more about developing them. Kind of, you, you get where I'm going mm-hmm. with it. And actually, I think, you know, we had the like I said, the the late millennials or the youngest of the millennials and the and the oldest of the Gen Zers that are in that kind of category where things changed on them Mm. i think you're actually maybe in another 10 years the next generation coming behind you may see a a revert back because we went through the everybody gets a trophy everybody does this everybody gets participation blah blah my kid's great put him in honors even though he hasn't been in honors and the teachers didn't give fine i'm just tired of dealing with you yeah that generation has learned that hey we screwed up our kids are kind (laughs) of out of whack here and the kids that were behind them you know, because you see them on the job. I've yet to, I've, I haven't met a single person yet that I've said, "Do you think partition, uh, participation to- trophies were good?" And they go, "Yeah, actually, I got them a lot when I was a kid. I, it was great." They all go, "No, nah, it was stupid. You should be able to win." You know, <laughs> so I think you had this dynamic of parents growing up who didn't feel loved, didn't feel whatever. You know, parents were mean. Maybe they did get beat maybe they or even if it was just regular spanking which i'm not opposed to but beating a child is wrong but they may have grew up in a situation or like not happening to our kids and they went way too far to the other extreme Mm -hmm. but i think 
they have seen that, okay, we went too far. And then now maybe those kids are going to understand. And then, so their kids behind them may get back to some common middle ground and we could see it, see another shift. Mm-hmm. Cause even with the young kids coming out, I mean, they'd be 21 years old and be like, what do you think about this? And they'll spit out what they think. And you're like, well, that's kind of what I think. I'm 20 some odd years older than you. So I've yet to meet that person who agreed with not keeping score and not, yeah. you know, giving I've, I've yet to meet one. I think but apparently you, it's out there. Yeah, it's out there. Um, I think if you look back through history, that pendulum effect, you can look back and see that through the generations yeah. of, you know, the, the Great Depression, World War II, um, the Korean War era. Then you move into the 60s and the flower children and the hippies and then the 70s and, eight, you know, and you can see that swing. It yeah. does seem to go from, and it's maybe not necessarily an extreme, but it's pretty close. And then it comes back the other way and then corrects back the other way. And then, so. Yeah, we, we as a society and just as people in general tend to overcorrect when we see an issue. Yeah. Like, well, this was a problem. And then rather than slide here, that would correct the problem and keep us going where we want to go. We're like, well, this was a problem over here. So we got to get way over here. Defund the police. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the age we live in, technology, social media, the ex- how fast you can get information out and see creates that crazy swing where where you're talking like the 60s people today talking how progressive they are and movements towards human rights and civil rights okay we're going all the way back to the 50s and 60s there was a whole generation doing it then too they just couldn't snapchat it instantly of what they were doing or what they thought where today's yeah progressives can you know overload an entire new system with it at yeah. the click of their thumb where well i think i think that's why we see the swings being so drastic yeah. now because they weren't as drastic in the past as yeah. they are seem to because be they can reach more people all at once and so people who are here and agree this is a problem mm-hmm. the masses automatically overcorrect and end up over here and then a few years later they're like okay well maybe we went a little too far let's bring it back center this is where we need to be yeah that they didn't have to deal with in the 50s, 60s, 70s with the technology part of it. Yeah. You know, you can get a lot of information out quickly. And yeah. And it's not always correct information. It's not always right information. No, usually it's probably wrong. <laughs> it's on the internet, it's true, damn it. <laughs> oh, that's like the coffee argument. Pull up your phone. Is coffee bad for you? A million articles, coffee's bad for you. Hey, is coffee good for you? A million articles. Coffee's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about what you want to hear. Yeah. It's all about perspective. Yep. Well, hot. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. This has been a blast. Yeah. Glad I, I could help. Anytime. Yeah. Well, and I, I, so many times on the show, I've, how many times have I just beat the dead horse of the importance of this style of leadership, too? So it's nice. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it's actually yeah. nice to have someone articulate that can talk about it. Yeah. That's actually a leader. Instead of me just saying, like, I want this. <laughs> <laughs> and crying behind the camera. Fuck off. But again, like I say, there, there's a time and a place for every style of leadership. I can I can flip script and be right back to military style leadership when it's necessary. Well, and I, I just think. just try and create, create an environment where it's not necessary. I, but I think that that's an important distinction to make that with our job, sometimes it will be necessary. And it's typically because we have issues that are 
life safety, life safety issues. And you don't have time to have a debate or to explain. And, but that's where the trust comes in, right? That your guys trust you that I'm going to tell you to go do this or come here and do that or whatever the case may be. And they're going to, whatever they're doing, drop it and come. And, you know, you'll explain it to them afterwards. It's all about trust and communication. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks I wish Nelson me. wish Nelson would have been here. You know. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen him in a while. I'm a yeah. great Nelson. Just a little darker. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that one alone. So anyway, like we end every episode. Thanks for stopping by. If you are struggling, reach out. There are resources out there. If you know somebody that is struggling, reach out, let them know what resources are out there and know, let them know that you care. So appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for stopping by. And as soon as Moran gets off his phone, he can turn the recording off. Fail.